Well, good morning, Piedmont. Good morning. Welcome home. It's, uh, it's going to be a great day. I hope you have had a great weekend. I was reading uh, throughout Scripture this, this weekend, and, and the passage that I came across kind of reminded me of the song we're going to sing here in just a second. So in Exodus, Exodus 20, the uh, Israelites have, have, have been released from captivity, released from slavery, from Egypt. They've been, they've been led out by Moses. God has, has given them their, their next taste of freedom. And he tells them as they're seeking this freedom, as they've come out of this, this dark place in their life, life, he tells them to rest. This is when he gives them the, the, the Ten Commandments. And, and one of the things that he says to them is he says, make sure you don't forget to rest. And I find that just really interesting because I don't know where you are in your, in your life today. I don't know what kind of Egypt maybe you feel like you're in. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's at home. Maybe it's in a relationship that you have. And maybe it's just a place that you just feel kind of alone. It's, it's not going how you want it to. What I think God wants us to know is while we're in that place, and even when He takes us from that place, He wants us to know that we can rest in Him. It's not always about how hard we can work to get ourselves out of this bad situation, which I think sometimes, if you're anything like me, that's what I do. I get into a bad situation, instead of hitting my knees, I go, okay, how can I fix this? Because I'm a fixer. How, how can I, tell me the problem and I'll help you fix your problem. But sometimes I think God wants us to just to lean back. He wants us to just take a step back and know that He is God. And know that He is in control of all things. So no matter where you've come this week, no matter how good or bad your weekend is, I hope that you know as you walked in those doors this morning that this is a place where we can lean back in the presence of the Lord. This is a place where we as a collective body say to each other, let's rest in the Lord this morning. Let's seek His face. Let's seek His blessing. Let's not try to make something about ourselves or make something from ourselves, but let's just rest in the presence of the Lord. And that's why we at Piedmont call this place home. And that's why we use that word so much, is because I think that's what home means, is for us to be with the Lord. So as we sing a new song this morning, what I want us to really just think about, and what I want us to really reflect on, is that no matter the Egypts that we go through, He's always there to deliver us. So let's lean back on His understanding and His ways because He is higher and He is greater. God, we thank You for who You are. We thank You for Your presence, even though we don't always feel it. I pray that You will give us the strength to let go. You'll give us the willingness to lean on You. You'll allow us to leave the strongholds, to leave the things in our lives at your feet, and this will take them from us this morning. Let us not just gather like it's another Sunday morning, but Lord, let us gather with anticipation of meeting with you, singing a song to you, of being ministered by you. So God, let us lean back in your presence this morning. Let us feel who you are. So you're such my prayer. Amen.
universe trembles, that fear has to bow, that where there is perfect love, Lord, that you are casting out fear. Lord, that we can live with the boldness that is enabled by that love. Lord, that we have never experienced a love that is like yours. Lord, that is unparalleled, that is unmatched. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to taste it, to see it, Lord, to know that it is good. Lord, I pray that you would help us to rest in that love. Lord, that we don't feel the need to strive for grace, to strive for love, but to know that it is freely offered. Or any fear of rejection that has to go because you are here, God. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We pray all these things in your son's name. So many children. So we this year, 
are going to sponsor a Christmas party. There's some cool things about it. And there's this bag you can help. We want you to fill this bag. They're out on the way, uh, on the way out, and you can grab one. And it's step by step. Step one, there are items here that you can fill this bag in. Whatever you can get into this bag, that's great. Fill the bag in. Step two, put a picture of you or your family, or maybe you do this in the office, your workplace, put it in that as well as fill out the bottom part below and include it back in. Because here's a really neat part. When we give these out at a party at, at Love Guatemala, we're going to live it on a, on, a, uh, on a platform. We're going to live feed it so you will actually be able to see the children that you're getting gifts for get their gifts. So you're going to be a part of the party. And we're going to give you the information by emailing out to you the platform that it will be on. <coughs> Excuse me. So you get to be a part of the actual event. You get to see the children that are getting their probably their only present for Christmas. There's a lot of things, by the way, on this list. Wow, there's school supplies. You know, there's many children in this area that they are not allowed to go to school unless you show up for school supplies. The school is free, but you cannot show up unless you have school supplies. They cannot afford it. And so they can't go to school simply because of that. You can end up uh, helping them out. Several things there. And then you ask that you include also $5 that helps us get it there and through customs. And uh, there's several locations here at Piedmont Church between now and December 3rd. One South Bank or Small Hall Orthodontics. You can drop this off at any of those locations. Also in there is a sheet. It's a little poster. We want to help you. Maybe you want to do this as a family and you want to get your office behind it. So we've made a little poster that you can say, hey, put up in your office. It help. Contact me. You can put your name and maybe your office number or your extension number, something like that. Now, if you get five people to do $7 a piece, you can fill this bag up with tons of stuff. Or seven people, $5 a piece. It's not going to take much. We want to fill up as many of these bags as possible and, and take it there and sponsor this Christmas party. And so I am so excited about this. Want to invite you to be a part of that, and let's see what we can do. Well, this PMI Church plus outside this community. Get your dorm involved. Get your office involved. Get your classroom involved. Get different people involved. Let's see how many of these we can fill up. They'll, they're out there. Say on a table on your way out. Take as many as you think you can fill up. All right. You know it is that time of year. It's December or November? Excuse me. Starting November, but November and December mean the same thing. Once November starts in, to me. It is the two months of that just say holiday. There's just I don't know what about the rest of the, you know, and July fourth is a little bit like that, but there's nothing like December or November and December to me that, that just scream holiday. And when I think of those two months, and maybe it's part of it is the the music, maybe it's part of the decoration, and of course they're not they're, they used to pop up, right, in November and December. I was actually meeting somebody for lunch about three weeks ago, a little before mid-October at Cracker Barrel. And I walked in and it looked like Santa's workshop already in that place. It's getting earlier and earlier. But but maybe it's part of that. It's the decorations and all that. It's the spells. It's the food. That all kind of make November, December feel like holidays. But a big part of that as well is family. I mean, when I think of the word holidays, when I think of November, December, I think of family. And maybe that's partly because during this time of year, we will spend more time with family, kind of uh, you know, non-distracted time, maybe as we have time off with family than we do the rest of the year. Maybe that's why. But, it, but it, to me, it's just because we spend time with family, November, December, holidays, it just wraps in with that. With the smells and decorations, all that, but it wraps in the word family. And I, and I understand this. When I say that word, it can impact people different ways. Right? Some of you, when you say the word family, 
you come across with positive feelings, you kind of smile, you're kind of looking forward to those moments in which you're with the family, because for you, you're just at a really good place when it comes to your family. For others of you, when you hear that word, hurt comes to mind. Because there's been some things, some things said, some things done within the family that have wounded people, wounded you, and you still feel the wounds from that, and, and I get that. For others, it may be the word baggage. Maybe where your family is and where you're going is a different direction. Right? And you just feel like you, you're carrying the baggage of your family. You're kind of living out a sweet home Alabama life in many different ways. And so for you, it just means to carry the baggage of your family. For others, it is loss. Maybe you lost someone of your family this year. Maybe they left, and that's the loss that you have. Maybe there's just a significant change. I remember... A year and a half before my father died, he had had a major stroke. And for that year and a half, it was kind of weird. It was like the man I was talking to was not my father because it was a major stroke. It affected him mentally, not just his speech, but mentally. And he would have conversations with me that I, I would never have, never had. And he'd talk about things we never talked about, things that maybe we locked up in his mind that he just never conversed about. We talked about it. So it was like... I, I, my father in many ways was gone, but yet he was still alive. And it was just weird. And family was weird during that period of time in which we were all figuring out how to take care of him and take care of my mom, and she took care of him. And, and so it was in that time of loss. It was just odd. Maybe it's a, when you think of family, you think new beginnings because maybe you're getting married or just got married or and you're getting a child or grandchild or your parents are getting you know, are divorced and they're getting remarried with someone. It's just a time of new beginnings. But So the, the word I recognize, it can hit people different ways and, and, and people can respond to it different ways. But the truth of the matter is, we all have one, right? We're all part of one. And to one degree or another, they have shaped and impact who we are. Our family. And here's the thing about family. The DNA of a family. You know, the DNA of the body is the building blocks of the body. The DNA of family is relationships. That's the DNA. That's the foundation of what a family is built on. It's relationships. Relationships with each other. And the most important relationship in a family, the most basic DNA, the nucleus of every single family, where the family began, is that relationship at the top. Mom and dad. When that relationship is healthy, it tends to spread health throughout the family. When that relationship is, is not healthy, it tends to spread unhealth throughout the family. That is the nucleus. That is the beginning. Your family begins there. I ask to some people sometimes, when did you start a family? Inevitably, they always give me the day of what? Their first child. Yeah, we started having children, so that's not what I asked. So when did you start your family? Because you see, family doesn't begin when you say, I'm expecting. Family begins when you say, I do. Because the nucleus of a family, the DNA of a family, the building blocks of a family is that relationship at the top. It's when you say, I do. So, so for the next couple of weeks, here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about how to develop meaningful relationships. Meaningful relationships, and that's include why the dating relationships, meaningful dating relationships, because that's just kind of preparing you to develop meaningful relationships later on when you get married, whether it's through that person or not. We're going to talk about how to develop meaningful relationships in marriage a lot, because when we develop meaningful relationships there, we build happy relationships there. We build great marriages there. 
that will spread itself. It will begin to affect all the other relationships that are made up in that family. So if you're here today and you've been married either one month or 40 years, let me tell you, I want you to be a part of this series because there's going to be some great stuff. I've been married for a long time and just getting ready for the series, there's some stuff that's like, wow, this is good. This is really good. I wish I would have, I wish I would have, that would have uh, taken hold earlier. So there's going to be stuff really good for us. But not only that, if you're single, oh, let me tell you, we're going to give some stuff that you can use right now, not just when you get married, right now, develop meaningful relationships in your life. But also, if you know this stuff now, you're going to be so far ahead of the ball game later on. Not only that, we're also, nothing else, we're going to give a lot of you some information for you to give better advice. I am so amazed at how many people give sorry relationship advice to other people. I'll be in talking with someone, they'll say, well, so-and-so told me, mom told me, dad told me, and I really want to say, well, they're an idiot, because what they told you was not helpful at all. And sometimes people will tell, uh, talk to me and say, well, you know, I'm so-and-so, so and I told them this, and I want to look at you and go, you, you told them exactly the wrong thing. I'm tired of something you're giving bad advice. So if nothing else in this series, we'll help you help those who are around you. Here's where we start. Whenever you enter into a relationship, any relationship or marriage, what you bring with you is your hopes, dreams, and desires. Your hopes, dreams, desires of what it's going to look like. Hope, dreams, desires where it's going to end up. Hope, dreams, and desires of who? The person in the relationship with you. What they're going to be and how they're going to act and how they're going to love and how they're going to feel for the role as boyfriend, girlfriend, or a husband and wife. We bring into every relationship in our life hopes, dreams, and desires, which is very innocent. It's very positive. It's very good, right? But here's what happens. If you're not careful of it, and the chances are you won't even think about it, so you won't be careful about it, and it will happen. Here's what happens if we're in that relationship for an extended period of time. is a change takes place. And those hopes, dreams, and desires become expectations. And we take those expectations and we put them around the neck of the person that we are in a relationship with. <laughs> And now it's not just about hopes, dreams, desires, and Now it's, it's about expectation. Here's my expectation of what you're supposed to be and what you're supposed to do and what you're supposed to live up to. And now when that happens, the relationship shifts. It shifts into a contractual relationship. Now, you've heard people say it. Now what it's about is you doing your part and me doing my part. You doing your part so that you will live up to the expectations I have. There were once hopes, dreams, and desires, now they're expectations. And your job is to live up to the expectations that I have. And they're thinking, your job is to live up to the expectations they have. And so all of a sudden now, it's a, it's a contractual relationship. You do, your, you've heard of, you do your job, I'll do my job. We both do. We both get in and do our job. And then there, that's where a great relationship is found. And if we don't, Live up to those expectations. If the person you're in a relationship with, they were once hopes, dreams, and desires, you turn them over time into expectations, you hung them on the neck of the person you're in a relationship with, and you expected them to live up to those things, and now they're not, what do you do? You'll do one of four things. You'll either try to get them to live up to those expectations, and you'll probably do one of the four C's to try to do it. You'll either try to convince them, convict them, control them, or coerce them to live up the expectations that you have now. Or you will just get distracted. 
or you'll kind of look other places. Now that may, may or may not be in the form of a fair, it may be just giving yourself to work or fun or something else, but your expectations are not being met and they bring some type of emptiness to you, so you look to go fill that up somewhere else. You don't want to leave, you just want to feel different. Or, and this is where I probably say that, that 80% of marriage is like, you just kind of settle. You just kind of lower your expectations. That was hopes, dreams, and desires. I'll just won't get those. They turn into expectations. They didn't live up to expectations. And now what, I'm just, just going to lower my expectations. And we just kind of settle right there. And then let me tell you, this, if you get there, it doesn't mean your marriage is going to fall apart. There are people that live their whole marriage life, live many, many years married, and they just live in this state. And they may even say their marriage is okay. They may even say they have a good marriage, but what they've done, they just settle. It's not meaningful relationship of what it could be. It's not a great marriage. They're not necessarily a great, crazy happy couple, but they're making it. That's where a lot, a lot of us settle. And the fourth one is you leave. You just leave. And you go in and you take those things that were expectations and you turn them back into hopes, dreams, and desires. And you go into the next relationship and you turn them into expectations over time. You hang them on their neck and here we are again. They don't meet them and so you try to get them to meet them or you get distracted or you, or you try to... Uh, uh, just settle where you are and just try to make it or you leave again. And it goes on and on. But great marriages, great relationships, meaningful relationships, happy couples, get it. They understand that great marriages, not ones that are just getting bad, but great relationships and great marriages aren't built on a division of labor. It isn't a competition to see how many of my expectations I can get out of you and how many your expectations you can get out of me. You see, the Scripture teaches us what it is. What is the, the, the thing that is the foundation of truly meaningful relationships? What is the nucleus of truly great relationships, truly great marriages, what it is that happy couples know. Truly happy couples know. And the Scripture tells us. See, it's in Ephesians chapter 5. And let, me, let me say this. Let me set it up a little bit. He's going to give it to us in a statement. Alright? And then He's going to flesh out. Here's, he's going to turn to women. He's going to say, here's what it looks like when you live it out. And He's going to turn to me and say, and here's what it's going to look like. Here's just an example of what it could look like if you live it out. So he's going to make the statement, and then he's just going to flesh it out. For the women, this is one way it could look, and for men, this is one way it could look. But here's what we do. We take that chapter, and we get focused on what he says to women and what he says to men. That's just the example. That's just fleshing it out. And we don't focus on this principle that he lays out. Let me show you what I mean. We'll start with what he says to each group. We'll start with how he's giving it an example of how it can be lived out in men and women. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Now get this, that is 22, verse 22, right? Just remember that number. He says, women, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. He says, here's a way that you can live out what I just said. He said, wives, submit yourself to your own husbands as do to the Lord, as you do to the Lord. And then he turns to the men in verse 25, and he says this, husbands, Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. Now that's been the focus of many, many marriage sermons. It's been the focus of a lot of conversation and teaching and even debate. Right? 
Husbands love that first verse. And it has been used and abused by so many men, you are to submit to your husband. And women turn around and don't like that, especially in our modern day times. You know, we don't like that word, submit to my husband. What is he talking about? I'm an independent woman. I'm a successful woman. I don't need a man to submit myself to. And the problem is not all that. The problem is we've taken the examples and made them the discussion. And they really are just God giving examples to men and women how they can live out something He told both of them to do. He told women, a man in verse 25, wives love your church or Christ love the church. He told uh, women in verse 22, wives submit to your husband as you do the Lord. It is in verse 21, right before that, that He speaks to everybody and He gives what should be the focal point and the principle. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, He says simply this. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then he turns to women and says, here's a way you can do that. Submit to your husband as unto the Lord. And he turns to the man and says, here's a way you can do that. You know, love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Those are just examples. Those are the secondary point. The point, the principle is this. Submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. Here's what he's saying. He's saying this. That the DNA to every meaningful relationship. The nucleus, the beginning point of every great marriage. In other words, what he says, what, what happy couples get, what they know is they understand what is the, the beginning point, the nucleus, the building blocks that everything else is to be built on is this. Is that meaningful relationships are not a race to see and to get your expectations met. The meaningful relationship is a submission competition. Another way to define what it is, what, what, what creates truly meaningful re uh, relationships, what, what, what truly creates a great marriage, and what, what couples who are really happy know is that this. I'd wrap it up in this statement. Meaningful relationships are a race to the back of the line. That's what it is. As to man, to the husband, to the people who are dating, you want to know how to build a meaningful relationship. You want to know how to build a great dating relationship, a great marriage. You want to know how to become and stay without lowering your expectations of what it means to have a great marriage. Here's what you've got to understand that above everything you define marriage as, here's what it is. It is a race to the back of the line. That every day you've got to ask yourself, how am I doing at racing to the back of the line? And, and just in case you want to know what that looks like in real time, in our modern day moments, all you have to do is to look at Christ. Ephesians chapter 5, go back up to verse number 1. He says this, follow God's example. He kind of lays out the example first. And then he kind of says, here's how it works out. Submit yourself to one another out of reverence Christ. He lays out the example first. He says in verse 1, Follow God's example, therefore, as, dear, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us, and gave Himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So he says, you want to see an example of what it means to race to the back of the line? Just look to the cross. Here's the Son of God, and what does He do? He races to the back of the line. He stretches out His arms, and He dies for you. That's what it looks like. 
If you want to see another example of it in Christ, you can look to this. John chapter 13, verse 30. Listen to this. Jesus knew, I love this. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under His power. And that He'd come from God and was returning to God. Right there, He's saying simply this. Jesus, when He, when, when he does what I'm about to tell you to do, John says, when he, when I, what I'm about to tell you, Jesus does, He did it fully knowing who He was. Knowing that He was the Son of God. Knowing that He was the absolute true authority over all creation. He knew at that moment that what, what, what He could say is you submit to me. And that would have been right. I'm not you. I am God. And your job as creation is to submit to me and love me and obey me and listen to me. He could have done that. That's why He puts that first part. He knew exactly who He was. He wasn't confused who He was at this moment. He says, fully knowing that He was the Son of God and that He could command everyone to submit. This is what He did in that moment. So He got up from the meal, took off His outer clothing, wrapped a towel around His waist. After that, He poured water into a basin and began to wash His disciples' feet. And He did. He showed us in that moment that even though He could have come up with excuses and justification as to why Everyone, why those disciples should meet his expectations. In that moment, he made what every meaningful relationship is about, every great marriage or dating relationship is about, what every happy couple know, he made it about a submission competition. He raced to the back of the line. John chapter 15, verse 12 says this, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. So that's the statement. So let me ask you something. What does your spouse, your boyfriend, your boyfriend what does the person you're in relation with, what, your future spouse, what, what do they owe you? And there's one answer to that. Nothing. See, this is what happy couples get. Those who have meaningful relationships understand this. Happy couples believe that they owe each other everything, but are owed nothing in return. People who develop meaningful relationships absolutely are convinced that they owe the other person everything, and they're owed absolutely nothing in return. And I can feel the pushback on that already. Because of the truth of the matter is this. Truly submitting to your spouse in that way. Where you just put on a sense that I owe them everything. And they owe me nothing in return. To truly live and to love the other person with that kind of, a, of attitude and belief and philosophy, motivation, motto, whatever you want to call it. To truly love in that way can be so incredibly hard day after day. It's easy on the day that they do something for you. But it's hard to love in that way every single day. That I owe you everything and you owe me nothing it is so incredibly hard to live with that attitude day after day after day. You know why? Because of fear. We're scared of what, what if I love 
and, and, and lives about them and everything, and they don't respond. You say, Jerry, what, what, what you're saying is that what you want me to do is like, our marriage is like a tug of war. We're both kind of tugging. No, not that we're fighting or anything. It's just that we're both trying to get out as much as we can, get as much expectation, get them to do as much as we think they ought to be doing. And it's like we're both pulling each other, trying to get that done. And what you're wanting me to do, what you're saying to do, is to just step back and let go of my end of the road, no matter what they do. And that's scary. It's terrifying. Because at that moment, we lose control. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ did on the cross. He decided to drop His end of the road. Because you see, when He stepped up there and decided to go to the cross, and He let himself hang there, paying the penalty of your sin and mine, and going through the horror of being cursed of God. At that moment, he was given absolutely no assurance that you would appreciate it, that you would acknowledge it, that you would respond to it. He had absolutely no assurance that you would embrace it. He, you, you might have put your hand against uh, uh, up to him and say, I don't care, like so many people, millions of people do. In this world, every single day, he had absolutely no insurance that you would appreciate or respond. He didn't go and say, I'll go to the cross for you, but first, I have to have the promise from you that you will. In other words, I'll submit to you. If you will then promise, you'll submit to me. He didn't do that. You see, he just stepped up there and acted as if he owed you everything. And you owe him nothing in return. And just let go of his end of the road. And that's what he's calling us to do. You see, we let go of our end of the road. We make it a race to the back of the line when we submit ourselves to each other out of reverence for Christ. And when Jesus is saying that here, he's just simply saying to you this, hey, I'm calling you to just follow my lead. I'm calling you to love like I loved you. Because if you do, let me tell you, that's the foundation. That's the, the nucleus. That's the DNA to develop truly meaningful relationships and a truly great marriage. It's the one thing that people who are couples that aren't just married but stay happy. It's not... You know, sometimes people say, you know, happy couples, you know, they, they, they just, each of them over time, they just lower their expectations. They lower the bar so that it doesn't take as much for them to be happy about. That's not what I'm meaning. I'm talking about people who don't lower, you know, their hopes, dreams, and desires. But they still, through the years, develop not just a get through, not just, yes, I love you, but develop a happy marriage. This is what they get. But above everything marriage is, it's a race to the back of the line. That is what I'm to do regardless of whatever you do. And the people that discover that develop meaningful relationships. Let me tell you, if you're single in here, oh, please, please, please get this. Because if you get this, you'll be ahead of so many people that are married, that are in this room this morning. And maybe they're not in jeopardy of getting divorced, but where they are is they're just surviving. And there's no way to get hooked up with somebody to survive the rest of your life. Hook up with somebody in marriage to, to experience meaningful relationship. To, to experience happiness. To experience a great marriage. And the more you know this now, the 
the better prepared you'll be for you later. Here, here's what I encourage you. Nurture this attitude. Nurture this attitude now by loving your friends in the same way. Loving the people you date in the same way. Love them, submit, give to them, and expect nothing in return. Just make your life about loving people. Just make your life about loving people. Because when you do that, you just get yourself ready for what is required in every relationship if it's going to be a meaningful relationship. And that is at the beginning, at the, at the nucleus, at the foundation of every meaningful relationship is an understanding that above everything it is, it is a race to the back of love. So let me ask you, what does it tangibly look like for you to race to the back of the line in your marriage and your relationship this way. What does it look like? What does it look like for you in the interactions and the responsibilities, all the things that your life takes you down, what does it tangibly look like for you to race to the back of the line? Man, every morning you should get up. Now, regardless of what happened yesterday, no matter, regardless of what they did yesterday, regardless of how you feel, every day that's what you should be getting up, asking if you want meaningful relationships, if you want a, a great marriage, if you want to truly be a happy couple. You should get up every day and say, what is it going to tangibly look like for me today to race to the back of the line? Now, if you do this, will there be people to take advantage of you? Yes. Absolutely. It may be your spouse. But here's what I would tell you in that situation. What you want your spouse to do is to change, right? You want them to come and be someone that loves you in a way that you haven't been loved. And so far, what you've been doing to change them, more than likely what you've been doing is you've been doing everything you can to think of to try to, to get them to change. You've been trying to convince them Maybe you've been trying to convict them. Maybe you've been trying to control them or converse, uh, you know, converse them or, or coerce them. Or coerce them. You've been doing everything you can to figure it out. Let me tell you something. That's probably not going to work. I tell you what has the greatest possibility to work. It will not be a promise. I can't promise you they've got to make their own mind, but I can promise you this above everything else you can try has the greatest potential to change their heart. And that is this. Make your marriage on your part by the race of the back of the line. Submit to them. That's crazy. I'm just setting myself up. Because nothing attracts a heart to change more than a heart that is being loved. It's just fun. We're just attracted to where we're loved the most. And when you make your marriage, even though they're, they're, they're not and you're struggling, when you make your marriage about a race to the back of the line on your part, when you make it about loving them, when you make it about the attitude, I owe them everything and they owe me nothing, and you live and love your spouse in that way, let me tell you, that, they may take advantage of it, but of that and doing that, you have the greatest potential over time to change them to be someone that loves you back. Because our hearts are attracted to love. And not only that, if you do this with not only your spouse, but you do this with people, you'll find very quickly people in your life to avoid. Especially if you're single. If you go out there and you begin to make it your relationship with someone, not trying to get them to do what you want, trying to get them to, you know, to, to change the want to be, to match up to your hopes, dreams, and desires, 
But if you make it about, hey, I'm going to, I'm gonna, I'm gonna live as if I owe you everything, you owe me nothing. I'm just gonna make this a submission competition. I'm gonna make this about me running to the back line. And you begin to love them that way. If over time they don't change and begin to love you in the same way, and I'll tell you, they're either too immature at this moment, or they're too self-centered at this moment to be a part of, part of the inner relationship. I'm not saying that they may not one day be your spouse. They may be. But if right now with where they are, if you begin to make it about a race to the back of the line and you begin to love them and submit to them and there's no coming back, there's no loving you, then at the very least, you know this, we're just at a place right now where where he is or where she is emotionally, where they are mentally, where they are, it's just not a place where I want to be in a long-term relationship. So you kind of learn people to avoid. But you'll never know that. Until you do, what is the, the foundation, the nucleus, the beginning point, and will always be the major deciding point, how healthy your relationships, how healthy your marriage, and thus how healthy your family will be. And that is this. Understand that above everything that marriage is, it is a race to the back of the and the more you figure out how to tangibly do that, the more you... I'm telling you, it doesn't happen automatically. Every day, because of what happened the day before, or the day before, every day you have to get up and say, what does it tangibly look like for me to run to the back of the line? What does it tangibly look like for me to make today a, a, a submission competition for the person I'm in a relationship with? You do that? Let me tell you. You're not just a little bit ahead. You are so far. Not just you know that, but you begin to do that. You are so far ahead, 80, 85% of the marriages that are around you. And you have a greater chance of not just having a marriage that lasts, but having a great marriage that lasts. And not just being a couple that make it, but to be a happy couple. This series is going to be so much God, I come today, I just pray for everyone in this room, whether they're single in a dating relationship, or God, whether they're married for one year or 40 years, here's what I pray and I ask for every person in this room. That if they hear nothing else in this series, they will hear today. The marriage can go through so many seasons of life, and there's times in which you love the person, you can just eat them up, there's other times you wish you had it. God, there's just moments in life where everything seems to click and where sometimes it's just not. God, what we must never lose focus on, what we must always understand is that there's a tendency in us to create expectations and put them around the neck of the person we love. The minute we do that, we will tend to start making the relationship about getting my expectations God, happy couples, great marriages, meaningful relationships, people that are those have discovered this. But that is something we have to keep at bay. That's something we have to fight against. And the best way to fight against it is to wake up every day asking, how can I tangibly express? How can I tangibly love in a way that says, I I'm running to the back of the line. God, how do we live in a way where we nurture every day the attitude that I love that person or that I owe that person everything. And they owe me nothing. 
God, if we can just get and be unafraid to let go of our end of the rope and live with this philosophy of love every day we wake up, that you, that you exemplified for us this, not doing anything else, this will greatly improve our relationship, our marriage, so many important relationships in our life. Write this on our heart and let us never forget that marriage above everything else is a race to the back of life. We ask in Jesus' name. As we continue to uh, worship the giving, I've got just a few announcements for you this morning. Usher, you can go ahead and come down. Um, so this morning as you walked in, uh, you should have received a bulletin in that. There's a lot of really cool things going on. I just wanted to make you aware of a few things. First, Pastor Jerry already talked about uh, the gift for Love Guatemala. We'd love for you uh, to be able to help help another kid out across the country. We get to see them across the nation, or the world, excuse me. Um, we get to see them every year, and it's just a great blessing Love Guatemala through that, and so I don't know what's happening with my mind. It seems like it's going in and out. And so um, anyway, uh, we've got that. Also, next Sunday, Piedmont. Every year we do a thing called Piedmont's Thanksgiving. It's just a great time for us to connect together to have a meal. We'd love for you to be here. It's kind of potluck style. Uh, the church will provide the meat, and then we are asking that you bring uh, just a potluck side dish or dessert. Be here. It's five o'clock. You don't have to sign up or anything. It's just a great time. We kick back. We have some fun. There's a few few games in there, a time of giving thanks, and obviously food. So be here with us, plan on being here with us, it's going to be a great uh, evening uh, together. Uh, also on our home board out in the lobby, you'll see some just some shirts of paper. We have an opportunity, uh, one of the things that we want to do here is we want to make it, make each one of us feel at home, so we want to ask you to partner with us in praying for our, our children and our students throughout the week. So if you want to just grab one sheet of paper off that home board uh, and pray for the people, the children, the students in our, um, in our grasp, in our network, so we can just kind of support them because we know that it's difficult uh, being a child, being a student, with all the things that are pulling you. And so we just want to cover them in prayer and support them. Also, make sure you're plugged into our emails. We've got a lot that you can plug in on PiedmontChurch.net. You can go get our emails. We've got people in our church want to pray for and some things going on. So I'd love for us to support each other in that way. We hope you have a great week. Wednesday at Ridge was awesome. Uh, it was, uh, <laughs> that's King, by the way, if you don't know him. He, he's very introverted, not social at all. Uh, anyway, we, we had a great opportunity to serve our community on Wednesday, uh, Ridge Avenue, Halloween. There was probably about 2,500 people that came by. Yeah, it was great. It was fantastic. Church did a great job. We gave out over a thousand bags of candy. We loved on a bunch of kids and a bunch of families. And so I just want to say thank you for, for doing that and, and being a great church on loving the community. So anyway, you guys have a great week. We'll see you.